It's literally just Voldemort and his dick. <laughs> no one else is in it. There's no other characters. Have you even read my fanfiction, Caitlin? <laughs> I'm starting to think you have not. <laughs> Welcome to The Worst Thing We Read This Week, where we talk about the books that we hate to love and love to hate. I'm Caitlin. And according to our recording service, I am a communicative Skywalker. Also known as Savannah. Um, And welcome back to our podcast. Weekly disclaimer, we don't hate books and we don't hate authors. We love both of them. And for that reason, we buy a hard copy of the books that we'll be discussing every week. We just enjoy going over problematic tropes, funny characters, and really shitty trash holes like this book. (laughs) Which I actually do hate. You know what? I'm taking back the disclaimer for this episode. I hate this book. I hate everything about it. I I, I read this book for the first time three years ago, and I've been spending all three of those years pretending that it does not exist. So the fact that I have to acknowledge that it is real and out in the world was a little bit traumatic, but it's okay. We'll get through it together. Uh, And since these episodes are not spoiler free, we wanted to give you guys an updated book list. Um, so on the fifth, I'm sorry, on the 14th of May, we have After We Fell by Anna Todd. And on the 28th of May, we have Finale by Stephanie Garber. Genuinely excited for that one. Savannah, what are you drinking? Uh, yeah, so because I needed something heavier than cider to get me through this book, I <laughs> um, have started buying myself some wine. It's a really nice bottle. I know it's a really nice bottle because I couldn't get the cork out last night and You know, as one of the things that I've learned in my 20s, if you try and stick a knife in the cork to get the cork out because you don't have a wine opener and it's not a a screw cap like you thought it was, uh, it will explode all over everything. Um, So I'm having my, my wine with a nice side of cork. Which is funny because I thought Savannah would have already have learned that lesson because I already made that mistake like a year ago when I was trying to cook with white wine and didn't realize that there was a cork in it. I wanted to learn for myself. I do remember that that bottle uh, with the wi- with the cork floating in it being in our fridge for a very long time, though. <laughs> I'm drinking coffee. It's actually tea, but I don't know what all is in it. It's really yummy, though. Okay, so summary. It was always difficult being Harry Potter, and it isn't much easier now that he is an overworked employee of the Ministry of Magic, a husband and a father of three school-aged children. While Harry grapples with a past that refuses to stay where it belongs, his youngest son, Albus, must struggle with the weight of a family legacy he never wanted. As past and present fuse ominously, both father and son learn an uncomfortable truth. Sometimes darkness comes from unexpected places. I think it's fitting that Caitlin did the summary this week because Caitlin actually just finished binge reading the entire Harry Potter series again. Um, So she has a lot more recollection of like actual canon than I do because I just read a lot of fan fiction. (laughs) Coming off of the series and going into this book, just like, like generally briefly starting it off, how did you feel? I feel like this book was written as Harry Potter fan fiction, but only... Oh god, that's an insult to fan fiction. (laughs) No, hear me out. But only by people who only watched the first three movies. And they were drunk. It's upsetting. Oh, also, in case you are... In case you live under a rock slash are a, a normal person who just isn't in the Harry Potter 
fandom discourse group. Uh, so this book is actually a script, so we're cheating a little bit, but it was made to be a screenplay. And I heard a lot of people telling me coming in, it is better, not I heard a lot of people, I read reviews online <laughs> of people saying this is better as a play, like it's better when you can watch it and you can see all the special effects and like the actors are acting it. So I tried really, really hard to only keep my criticisms to the actual plot line and the script and the directions and things like that. Well, it's still, it's still bad regardless of that. <laughs> so with that, I think we hop into the plot. So we start off with Harry talking to his children and telling them, Hogwarts will be the making of you, Albus. I promise you, there is nothing to be frightened of there. Which I just have to say is a very bold statement coming from Harry Potter, who literally almost died every year he went to school. <laughs> but we eventually are dropping off his kids at the platform, and Albus and James, his two oldest children, are the first two going to Hogwarts. Lily is their youngest. She's still too young to go to Hogwarts. James already has his established group of friends. So Albus and Rose, Ron and Hermione's daughter, um, are left on the train for their first year trying to figure out who they're going to make friends with. Kind of reminiscent of book one. And that is where we meet Scorpius who is the son of Draco Malfoy and some other bitch named Astoria. And also my child, <laughs> whom I love and will defend to the death. Immediately, Albus and Scorpius are best friends. Everybody hates Scorpius because they think that he's potentially Voldemort's son. So that's what we're opening the book with. It's just this fun little plot twist that, hey, maybe Voldemort had a child because time turners and time travel and this random, like, I feel like I'm back in the Twilight time-space continuum. Like... What the fuck is going on? <laughs> How is anyone logically thinking about that? Because it's not common knowledge that they exist. So, like, where the fuck are people getting this, this like, thought where they're like, oh, yeah, Astoria totally went back and fucked Voldemort. Also, right? <laughs> I'm gonna rant about this more later, but Voldemort does not fuck, and you cannot convince me otherwise. <laughs> he is not a sexual person. <laughs> Starting off with a, a very bold statement by Caitlin. He's just so focused on on power and controlling everyone. He's a one-track mind, you know? Right, yes, yes. So Scorpius says, The rumor is that my parents couldn't have children, that my father and my grandfather were so desperate for a powerful heir to prevent the end of the Malfoy line that they that they used a time-turner to send my mother back and, and fuck Voldemort. I just also don't understand why there's still so much stigma around the Malfoys, because I feel like they, they didn't really participate in the last battle. They weren't fighting with Voldemort. They weren't really fighting against him, but like, they just kind of left. And a lot of well, the Slytherins left. So why is there all of this rumor around the Malfoy line? Also, not like, let us remember that in the seventh book, Narcissa literally lets Harry live because Harry tells her, yes, Draco's still alive. Like, Clearly their alliances to Voldemort are not strong enough that Draco would send his wife back in time to have sex with him. It doesn't what? make sense. It doesn't It's make ridiculous. Sense. Moving on. It is ridiculous. <laughs> I'm going to skip ahead a little bit to the part where Albus, our main protagonist here, is sorted into Slytherin. I'm actually going to throw this out here as something that I genuinely liked. When Albus is sorted into Slytherin, he's kind of scared. He's had all of this anxiety about what house he's going to be sorted into. Scorpius says, Potters don't belong in Slytherin. And Albus says, 
this one does. As he's watching everybody else get sorted, he says, I didn't choose, you know that? I didn't choose to be his son. I think there was so much potential with this tension here of having this child whose parent is so incredibly famous. Like, your father defeated the equivalent of wizard Hitler, and now you're here, you're sorted into the opposing house to your father's, and you haven't done anything super incredible yet. And yeah, sure, you're only 13, but it's like, I can see where there's so much pressure on this boy, and I, my heart hurts a little bit for him, you know? I do think it had more promise than what we actually got. <laughs> <laughs> I think the emotional tension has a lot more depth than the actual plot. On page 29, fucking, fucking time turner is confirmed. There, There is a time turner that is found that Harry has in his position. He's like, oh my god, time turners are back. And I'm just like, oh my god, this is the stupidest plot twist. Time travel is a very difficult line to walk, and they did not make it into a reasonable plot. Also, remember how all of the time turners were destroyed in book five? <laughs> Right? Like, I get it. This one, this one's different because it was specially made for the Malfoys, but why was this the storyline that they decided to walk and it only gets worse from there? Goddamn. Another thing with this book, there's also a ton of time hops. So the first time that we meet all of the characters, it's when Albus is first going to Hogwarts, so he's 11. But the a majority of this book takes place when he's 14. A very predominant theme throughout this whole book is that Albus and Harry have a lot of tension. They don't get along very well. So we get some scenes where they're arguing and Albus is complaining about how Harry's his father. Harry says, at least you've got a dad because I didn't, okay? Albus says, and you think that was unlucky? I don't. Harry says, you wish me dead. Albus says, no, I just wish you weren't my dad. Harry says, well, there are times I wish you weren't my son. Like, I just feel like in that scene, he never really grew up because he's like, I just don't see Harry being like, well, at least you have a father. I never wished my parents were dead. Like, I don't know. It just struck me <laughs> right immature. it was a very emotional scene and i thought that it was a very realistic parent-child argument until we got to that line where harry's like well there are times that i wish you weren't my son like harry growing up in an abusive home which we get a little bit more insight to into this book and who always always wished that he could have had parents and had a dad would never ever in a million years tell his son, I wish you weren't my son. I don't know. It just, it felt so escalated. And all, especially for a 14 year old who is very upset and like saying a lot of emotional things versus a mature parent who can see, oh, it must be frustrating for you. Sorted into Slytherin. Albus is not good at Quidditch. Like you're not living up to all these expectations people have for Harry Potter's son. It's, it's reasonable for him to be having those insecurities. And I just don't see Harry rising to that bait and saying something so shitty, you know? If this book may makes Harry seem kind of self-centered, which he never has been. It it doesn't feel like Harry in this scene. It doesn't feel like Harry throughout the whole book. <laughs> I didn't want this book with all of their children. I wanted a book like I wanted more explanation of Harry's parents or, like, people that we don't get a lot of information about or give us a book about their children, but, like, I, I don't want the original characters featured in it so prominently just because I feel like there's... there's Potential to fuck it up. There is. And there's... 
And there's so much potential for these characters that you can just imagine. And as soon as you write it in here, you're like, oh, they're all kind of like just shitty, normal, middle-aged people. <laughs> um, another thing that really irritated me about this book is you get these sprinklings of already famous scenes that happen in the original books. There's a whole retelling of the scene of when Hagrid comes to give Harry his acceptance letter into Hogwarts. The only thing that's different about it is in the background at the very end, you can hear in Voldemort's voice, Harry Potter! You know, I sound exactly like him. Do it again. Um, <laughs> I love nostalgia. I love series that have follow-up series and there's little hints. And if you've read the original series, you look back on it and you're like, oh my God, I know who that is. This is so cool. Like it, it's part of the reason that I read fan fiction because I don't want the story to be over sure. yet. But if you're going to write something new as an author in your own world, you have to have something besides nostalgia fueling the plot. Here's the one thing I'll say before you jump into what you're going to say. I just really admire how willing she is to, and like not afraid to kill off characters, beloved characters. Because I think part of why they become beloved is because they always died for a purpose and it doesn't feel cheap mm -hmm. and it doesn't feel like you're just trying to like evoke emotion. So when we got to what the actual fucking plot of this play is and you find out it's to prevent Cedric Diggory from dying, I was pissed. The fact that this all revolves around fucking Cedric Diggory, are you fucking kidding me? Are right? you kidding me? You know me. I love me some murder. I love me some death and some emotional angst. Right. And I know that other readers are different than me, but even if it's a main character or a main love interest and it's like heart-wrenching, if it's well-written, I live for that shit. Basically, Cedric's father shows up and he's like, hey, I've heard these rumors, Harry, that you have a time turner, that the ministry has got one, and I want to go back in time and resurrect my son. And, like, weird recurrence, but, like, okay, I guess if the Ministry has a time-turner, people would be popping up out of the woodworks, like, hey, let's go rewrite history. Amos and his wife never blamed Harry in the original books, and a this was never a point of contention a before, Amos? so, like... Amos? 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 I don't fucking care. The Mr. Diggory. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Um, both ways. Before we continue, I just have to point out that the word I was not saying for this, uh, leading up to this episode when we talked with each other, you kept referring cursed. to it as the cursed child. <laughs> and it killed me dead. And I was really hoping you would continue. But somewhere along the line, you stopped. And I think it's because I said cursed too often. But I was just really excited to talk with you about the cursed child. <laughs> like we were in some medieval poem. <laughs> You know what? I'm not going to apologize for the way that I am. <laughs> I would never, ever ask that of you. And I would like you to return to the point you were saying about Amos. Or Amos, as, as we might be calling him. Oh, that was it. Just, just the, it was never a point of contention in the other books. Sure. People know how fucked up time travel gets. Like, you know if you resurrect your son. Right. You're changed, like... With the butterfly effect, you, like, breathe on someone the wrong way in the past and all of a sudden, like, the president's dead. If you resurrect an entire person that Voldemort killed, like, it does not compute. Albus decides, after hearing this conversation that Amos has with Harry, you know what? My father's done a lot of shitty things because I hate him right now and I'm full of teenage angst. So we are going to go and steal the time turner 
we're going to go back in time and save Cedric from dying and deliver him to his father. So they get on the Hogwarts Express to start their fourth year. And uh, Albus has decided that they are not actually going to go to their fourth year at Hogwarts. They are going to help Amos <laughs> and his niece, Delphi, who is accompanying Amos everywhere. They're going to help them by stealing the time turner and bringing Cedric back to life. So they get on the train. Albus breaks the news to Scorpius right in the moment. Hey, we're jumping off the train now. Scorpius is like, what the fuck, man? And he's like, nope, we're doing it. And Scorpius, uh, because he is in love with Albus, as we will discuss later, is like, fine, whatever. I'll follow you onto the roof of the train. <laughs> Leading into my absolute favorite part of this entire book. <laughs> they go onto the roof of the train. Scorpius says, Albus, the trolley witch. Albus says, you want a snack for the journey? Scorpius says, no, Albus, the trolley witch is coming towards us. Albus says, no, she can't be. We're on top of the train. <laughs> the trolley witch is also on the top of the train. Spoiler alert. <laughs> and Albus says, hmm, strange. <laughs> the trolley witch says, people don't know much about me. They buy my cauldron cakes, but they never really notice me. I don't remember the last time someone asked my name. <laughs> Albus, good boy that he is, says, what is your name? The trolley witch says, I've forgotten! All I can tell you is that when the Hogwarts Express first came to be, Adeline Gamble herself offered me this job. Scorpius realizes that she's, like, fucking old. <laughs> and then, my favorite stage direction of almost the entire play, probably, she picks up a pumpkin pasty. She throws it like a grenade. It explodes. <laughs> she's then begins going off on this absolute rampage about how never has she ever let anyone off the train before they reach their destination. Some have tried. Sirius Black and his cronies, Fred and George Weasley, all have failed because this train, this is in all caps, that's why I'm yelling in your ear right now. <laughs> this train, it doesn't like people getting off it. The trolley witch's hands transfigure into very sharp spikes. She smiles. <laughs> and then... And then, <laughs> her hair is wild. Her spikes, particularly spiky. She basically attacks them, and Albus and Scorpius, like, fucking leet them. Leet is not a word. Yeet. Fucking yeet themselves off of the train. I know all the lingo. I'm down with the kids. <laughs> Savannah, can I ask you a question? Yes. <laughs> You may ask me a question. When you thought, like, when you think of a Harry Potter reboot, and you think of, like, the characters <laughs> that you would like to see in that reboot, <laughs> did ever in your mind, did you ever land on the trolley witch? And did you ever think, man, I really wish her story was <laughs> further explored? I was just yearning to know more about this witch who's apparently, like, a fucking shapeshifter? What the who fucking has explosive pumpkin pasties, which is very concerning considering she sells it to children. What if she accidentally sells the wrong pumpkin pasty? <laughs> right? And, and she's just like chucking these things at them and I'm like, did everyone know about the troll? Like, serious? Fred and George, why did no one mention 
the trolley witch. I feel like witch. that's a story. Yeah, that is a fucking story. It's not canon. None of this is canon. None of this is canon. Um, Moving on. They escape from the Hogwarts Express. They decide that they are going to go visit Amos and uh, Delphi. And they they run off to go meet with them. Harry, Draco, everyone else all realizes that their, their children are missing. And... <sighs> They've concocted this plan to break into the Ministry of Magic because they know that the Ministry has this time-turner. So fucking Delphi, this 20-something-year-old girl just tags along on an adventure with these 14-year-old kids. And the whole time I was just like, this is this is weird. She was never like, this is a terrible idea. Maybe don't steal a time. Like, she's in her 20s. You'd think that she'd be either the voice of reason or, like, they would be skeptical of her coming along. But Also, Caitlin and I have 14-year-old sisters and we are in our 20s, so I would just like to say that we are personally qualified to speak on the topic of how stupid 14-year-olds are. If you're 14 and listening, I'm sorry, I love you. Like, I was stupid at that age. (laughs) So they take Polyjuice Potion, the three of them do. And they transform into Harry, Ron, and Hermione. Harry and Hermione work for the ministry. Uh, Hermione is actually the minister of magic. Ron does not work for the ministry. Albus is now Ron. As Delphi and Scorpius are inside Hermione's office looking for the time turner, um, Albus needs to distract Hermione by posing as her husband. Which, before you start into this, I just want to say... You would think if you were trying to break into the ministry undercover, you would pick somebody besides the three literal most famous people in the wizarding world. That's it. But fucking Hermione walks up and sees Ron slash Albus outside of her office door. And she's like, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, hello, dear wife. And then like goes in to kiss Hermione and they're like (laughs) making out. So Albus, this fucking 14-year-old boy posing as Hermione's husband, is just like... Oedipus complex? Trying to distract her even further, Albus slash Ron goes, let's have another baby. And she's like, what? And he's like, or if not another baby, a holiday. I want a baby or a holiday, and I'm going to insist on it. Shall we talk about it later, honey? Maybe with a drink at the Leaky Cauldron? Love you. And then fucking Scorpius is like, I don't know whether to high five you or frown at you for kissing your aunt about 500 times. (laughs) Congrats, bro. Now that they've broken into Hermione's office, the next obstacle that they need to overcome is the bookcase that Hermione has charmed to hide the time turner. Because where do you hide the most dangerous object in the wizarding world? In a charmed bookcase behind riddles, obviously. They're, like, the bookshelf comes to life and is trying to eat all three of them as they are actively trying to figure out where in the bookcase the time turner is held. You don't really need to know anything else besides the fact that it's spouting riddles and they're answering these riddles. And as they answer the riddles, they get eaten less and it directs them to the time I was like, Hermione, just, like, stuff it in your mattress and be done with it. But anyway... The ministry hides things by, like, you having to go through certain obstacles that are really, really, really hard to get around unless you work for the ministry and know how to get around them. Like, there's a re- like, the ministry is good at hiding things. In- it it mirrors the first book where Harry and Hermione and Ron have to go through all these challenges to get to the end, but, like- 
the reason that you put riddles in place is so that someone will solve them and get to the end and get the thing. Like, Voldemort wanted Harry to get to the end of all the riddles in the first book. If you have a time-turner and you don't want anyone to find it, why are you setting up this, like, fun little puzzle game for people to mm -hmm. solve? Like, just hide it somewhere where you don't think anyone will ever find it. Like, right. It, it doesn't make sense, but it's happening. It's going on. My personal favorite riddle that they have to answer is the less fair of those that walk on two legs, grubby, hairy, a disease of the egg. Guess what the answer is? It's men. <laughs> I'm not, I am not making that up. That is the literal answer in the book. They are calling men a diseased egg. LOL. Wow. Rip. All men was the note that I left. <laughs> to all of our male listeners, just know that is J.K. Rowling's thoughts and not the views expressed on the worst thing we read this week. <laughs> I was like, damn, who hurt you? <laughs> they get the time turner because, yes, the riddles were easy enough for two 14-year-olds and this really weird 20-something-year-old girl to solve. So... They decide that they are going to go back to the first task of the the Triwizard Tournament. <laughs> so, here's the thing that irritates me. Why the fuck is your first inkling to save Cedric's life to go back to the first trial when he died in the third? Like, if you were trying to save his life, wouldn't you go into the maze and try and prevent him from touching the trophy like that right. would be my instinct not right. let's go back to the first let's go back to the very first trial make him look like an idiot and embarrass him out of this competition right even the lowest scorer also goes into the last tournament it's not like you get disqualified if you suck they the only thing that's different is they have to they started later so right. harry and cedric started first but even so, like, that's not to say that he wouldn't still have gotten to the cup. We will quickly find out that none of their plans make any sense, which, okay, fine. Like, they're 14-year-olds. I, I don't blame the writing for that. But the narrative supports them in very strange ways. <laughs> One thing I want to mention before we get into them going to okay, the, yeah. the first trial. Albus is talking about how he's nothing like his dad, and Scorpius says, you're better, you're my best friend, Albus, and this is mayhem to the nth degree, which is great. Thumbs up, great. It's just, I've got to say, I don't mind admitting, I am a tiny bit, just a tiny bit scared. I love how he's just this complete nerd who would never go out of his way to break any rule whatsoever and albus is over here like i'm nothing like my rebellious father and then he's just like jumping off fucking trains and scorpius is only following him because he's like this is my best friend and also my crush so i gotta do it <laughs> meanwhile you do have these scenes interspersed where harry and Jenny and kind of all the parents collectively, depending on what scene it is, are searching for Albus and Scorpius because they've been alerted that they jumped off the train, they never made it to Hogwarts. They're trying to figure out where they went. The adult plot is much less interesting and more convoluted, but basically Harry starts having dreams. He hears Voldemort's voice. Uh, do you want to do the Voldemort voice again? Harry Potter! Thank you. Excellent. He hears that, which is terrifying, obviously. And his scar starts hurting again, which hasn't happened since before Voldemort passed away. 
So And he also starts having dreams about Albus. So he's not having dreams about Voldemort like he used to. He's having dreams about his son. Because plot twist, Albus is Voldemort. <laughs> Just kidding. It's no less <laughs> that ridiculous been way than more that. entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he's dreaming about Albus. And he sees him in the Forbidden Forest. He goes to the Forbidden Forest so that he can see if the centaurs can give him any more information. When he shows up, he runs into Bane. So throwback to the last series, uh, one of the centaurs who didn't kill humans on sight for trespassing on their land. Harry says, oh, hi, Bane. Like, glad you still recognize me. And uh, Bane's like, you're older. And Harry's like, yep. And Bane's like, but not wiser because you're trespassing. And Harry's like, I have always respected the centaurs. We are not enemies. And he's just like making all these grand statements. And Bane points out, you literally signed a treaty that humans wouldn't trespass on our land and that you would ask for permission before you came. And Harry's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. But like my son's in trouble. Like, can we just talk about how Harry Potter, who has always treated everyone, whether they're like human or centaur or goblet, like he is treated all races equally. He has never participated in any of the racism that a lot of the other wizards have. I like how he just like makes this treaty and then breaks it because it's convenient for him and is like, oh, but you owe me because I'm Harry Potter. The ego is just something that made me so mad because I was like, this so isn't Harry. Like he would never do that. Right. In the adult plotline, we also throw in Draco at one point because like his son is missing. So obviously he's going to get involved. This entire book, all he wants is for Harry to clear up the misconception that the Ministry has time turners and to go ahead and say, basically, like, it's not possible for Voldemort to have a son because Scorpius is being bullied and Draco loves his son like a good father would. (laughs) But also, like, why are people so freaked out that Voldemort might have a son? Am I missing something? Like, Sirius's parents were literal death eaters I feel like the entire first series was very focused on the idea that, like, you are not your parents. You are an independent person. Why are people so freaked out that Voldemort might have had a son? It's not a horcrux if he has a child. I agree with what you're saying. I'm not not disagreeing with that. I think my irritation with it is less to do with people being freaked out that Voldemort has a child and more just, like, to think Draco's wife would go back in time if no one knows about these time turners that can send you back several years. <laughs> I just don't understand why Voldemort's sperm is so important. Like, <laughs> that's not a, a sentence I ever thought I'd be saying. Well, um, <laughs> fucking the muggle world has IVF. Like, why the fuck would wizards not be able to do something similar? But also, like, whether he is biologically Voldemort or not, you can still raise him to support Voldemort and be part of the dark arts, whatever you want. Like, I don't understand why his exact lineage is so important and why you can't just do like a parental test. Like, I get that this is the wizarding world, but if you're so upset, don't tell me no muggle-borns came forward and were like, hey, what if we just like did a blood test and figured out whose child he is, you know? (laughs) But it's a huge conflict. So Harry and Draco fight about that a lot. Listeners, if we're seeming scattered and disjointed, it's because the plot is scattered and disjointed. Like, they laid out this plan within pretty much, like, pretty early on in the book, and it is not until after halfway through that they actually make it back to the first task and start trying to change things. 
Scorpius and Albus go back in time. They leave Delphi. They do not take her with them. They decide that they're going to disarm Cedric. That is their grand plan. They're just going to disarm him and somehow that is going to save his life in the third task, which logically um, makes no sense. No. So they come back in time and they realize that for whatever reason, because, you know, butterfly effect, this meant that Cedric still died and it also means that Ron and Hermione never fell in love. Ron instead falls in love with Padma Patil. They get married and have a child. And Hermione becomes a professor at Hogwarts who is old and bitter. Basically, that's all that's changed. So they're kind of like, hmm, this is problematic. Obviously, we got to make sure that Ron and Hermione still get together. But we also have to make sure that Cedric, like, still doesn't die, obviously. So they decide to go back a second time because meddling with time worked so well the first time. Also, sorry, side note. Albus, after after the first task, after they come back from that, Albus also discovers that he's now in Gryffindor, and his father has forbade him from seeing Scorpius. Yes. Continue. The two boys are separated. They have to go back in time another time to fix what they ruined, but also somehow make sure that only Cedric lives, which I was like, y- you think that nothing's going to change about your current world if Cedric lives instead of fucking dying? But whatever. I'll hold my tongue. They go back a second time. This time, they are back at the second task, which, if you will recall from the fourth book, is when they have to go and rescue their friends or family members that have been kidnapped and tied up at the bottom of the Great Lake, um, and they have to somehow get to the bottom of the lake and rescue these people. So they decide that they're going to give Cedric Diggory a big bubble head, and he will be so embarrassed, he will drop out of the competition. I am not making this shit up. <laughs> so again, they're off. <laughs> again, like, fucking logic. Because because you're trying to save his life in, this, in the third task. So you're just going to embarrass him in the first two and really hope that it, it makes its way into the third well, and task. Like, How do we get what? him to drop out? I don't know, let's make his head really big and then maybe he'll, like, float up and everyone will be like, ha ha, he's got a big bubble head and then he'll drop out. (laughs) Which apparently, they come back into the present and discover that that is actually the case. Cedric did drop out after the second task. Which, honestly, I don't blame the boy. Like, reading the way that this (laughs) scene has been written, Ludo Bagman is, is commenting on everything that's going on. They engorge Cedric's head. He says... But no, what's this? Cedric Diggory is ascending out of the water and seemingly out of the competition. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, we don't have our winner, but we certainly have our loser. Cedric Diggory is turning into a balloon, and this balloon wants to fly. Fly, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen, fly. Fly out of the task and out of the tournament, and oh my, it gets wilder still. Around Cedric, (laughs) fireworks explode, declaiming Ron loves Hermione, and the crowd love that. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, the look on Cedric's face. It's quite some picture. It's quite some sight. It's quite some tragedy. This is a humiliation. Like, what fucking five-year-old wrote this? Well, and then they come back in time after they somehow get Cedric to drop out of the tournament, and Scorpius realizes he's alone. Albus is not with him. And he later finds out it's because 
Harry Potter died at the (laughs) Battle of Hogwarts. (laughs) Because Cedric's head got engorged, let's not forget. (laughs) Which means that Voldemort, like, basically took over the wizarding world. So he's alone now in, in the present. He goes to the only person he knows to be alive at this point in time, who is, I guess, on on the right side of things, which is Snape. Snape is still alive in this version of reality. Because Scorpius so goes, is a disaster by who does dangerous, stupid things. He meets up with Snape. Snape is like, oh, you're spitting, like, you're spitting some facts here. Like, I know that you actually know things. So he takes Scorpius to go meet up with the rest of Dumbledore's army. And luckily Snape is not evil in this. I mean, Harry Potter is dead. It was a very big jump to just assume that this double agent isn't actually on Voldemort's side and that in this reality he will help him. Just showing up and being like, I'm from the future and please don't murder me. I'd like to kill Voldemort. I 100% agree with you, but I guess I also, like, if I were Scorpius and I had a time turner and I was like, I've got nothing to lose, like, if you were to go and confess to Snape and then Snape, well. What if Snape of Atticadavra's you? Like. That's true. <laughs> also, or takes you- the time turner and then you're fucked and right. you're trapped in this version of reality. Also, I don't think that I really understand, and I don't think that the writers of this script really understand. <laughs> They never read Harry Potter, of course they don't understand. (laughs) Um, How the time turners work, because either... (laughs) I'm sorry to get into this. I'm really sorry to bring it up. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. But with time travel... Or just logic in general. Right. I really got into this when Endgame happened, and I had to go read a lot of things on Tumblr. But basically, (laughs) you either have... Alternate universes are created every time that the plot, that someone makes a decision, and then you have, like, a bunch of these alternate universes, and then time travel is just leaving your universe and going to a different alternate universe in time, and you can go back and forth between them. You have that, or you have this one main time stream, and going back and changing things alters that main time stream, but it also makes it unstable and fractured. So... They're kind of dabbling in both here, which is really confusing because then it's like, okay, we found out at some point that this is a a time turner that only works for a certain amount of time and then you're shuttled back to your version of time. But this time Scorpius has already been shuttled back and his present reality has changed. But then later he's somehow able to go back to the other alternate universe where everyone he knows is still alive. Keep this in your mind. Because it does not make sense the way that Albus in the future skips back and forth between these realities. You have to do a lot of um, suspending your disbelief, but it's like to the point where you're confused. If I'm to believe everything that's happening in this book, like, I I don't even know how to follow it because it's so jumbled and so messy. Right. It's like, Um, if you're going to tell me Harry Potter had a son and his son was a ghost, That's really weird. Doesn't fit in with what I understand about the world. But, like, if you consistently describe him as a ghost, okay, that's fine. But if you tell me in the beginning, Harry Potter has a son who's a ghost, and then in the next scene he's a werewolf, but no one's explained anything, and then the next scene he's a shark, I'm a little bit confused, you know? It does kind of read like Harry Potter had a ghost who turned into a werewolf who turned into a shark. Thank you. (laughs) 
So Snape, who inherently just trusts fucking Scorpius because why not, uh, takes him to go meet the rest of what exists. The rest of what exists of Dumbledore's army, as they're calling themselves now. So they go into the Shrieking Shack. And Ron and Hermione are the only other two that are left of Dumbledore's army. And Hermione is the most wanted criminal. Ron is the next most wanted criminal. And for whatever reason, they are still not together. Even after <laughs> that very obvious firework exclaiming Ron loves Hermione. Um, <laughs> Probably because that was fucking task, awkward. They decide that they are going to, the the four of them, so Ron, Hermione, Snape, and Scorpius are going to go into the Forbidden Forest to prevent Scorpius and Albus from disarming Cedric in the first task. So they prevent that from happening. They come back in time, the four of them to do, and immediately Dementors are descending upon them. Ron and Hermione have decided that they're going to fight off these Dementors. Mind Past you, Ron and Hermione. Is already... No, current Ron and Hermione. Well, current Not current. Alternate, but the... alternate timeline Ron and Hermione. Alternate, mm -hmm. yes. Alternate timeline. Scorpius tells them, hey, by the way, in my world, you guys are married and have children. And they decide that they're going to protect this random fucking boy with this weird-ass fucking story about Voldemort and Albus Severus Potter and all this shit. <laughs> it's very strange. If you're confused, I'm confused. We're all confused. Yeah, there's no logic to anything. No. Especially in this next part where fucking Snape then dies, Scorpius runs out into the middle of the lake, and suddenly Albus is popping up right next to him. And somehow, Albus is alive again. Do they ever explain how Albus came to this version of reality or how we entered back into the normal version of reality of things? No. None of that is ever explained. Cedric Diggory is still dead. Um, Harry Potter is alive. And somehow we just accept that. Apologies if we kind of broke off there. Apparently it turns out that... The cursed child is me and Caitlin, because if you will recall, last episode, Caitlin has communed with Satan, and <laughs> on accident, right in the middle of recording, my lights flickered, a huge clap of thunder happened in the distance, and my Wi-Fi went out for a good five minutes. Obviously, God is upset. <laughs> so we go back to the normal version of reality. Albus and Scorpius are talking when suddenly Delphi shows up. She's like, hi, I'm evil. <laughs> Literally, that's it. She's like, Albus, I am the new past. I am the new future. I am the answer this world has been looking for. And you're like, okay. So she like breaks their wands and ties them up. She's having a quarter life crisis. It's fine. You've got Delphi who is now suddenly evil and who has been playing the boys this whole time. And then you jump over to the parents version of things. So one of the parts that I actually liked in the book is you jump over to the parents and Ron says to Hermione that he wants to do a vow renewal. And he's like, well, we were young when we did it the first time and I got very drunk. And well, <laughs> to be honest, I can't remember much of it. And the truth is, I bloody love you, Hermione Granger. And whatever time says, I'd like the opportunity to say so in front of lots of other people. Again, sober. Aww. And I just, 
I loved that, and also it was funny, and it was the one time in this book where Ron was actually funny. <laughs> right. I forgot uh, about that one, but that was a super cute moment. It was really sweet. Yeah. So now, of course, it hasn't worked the first two times when they've tried to go back and change the past, so now we have to go back to the third task, but this time it's Delphi's idea. She wants Cedric to live so that Harry dies and Voldemort can take over the world. After Scorpius came back from his weird Voldemort's in charge realm, Delphi got very invested in what was happening in that world and how he got there and what changes were made. So she tells him, I have changed my mind. I don't want you to just stop Cedric from going in the maze. I want him to be 100% humiliated and in disgrace for the rest of his life. Like, humiliation is what got you to that alternate timeline before, and it's what will get you there again and fulfill the prophecy. So we know that she's trying to bring about this alternate timeline. We just don't know why yet. So she drags him back to the maze. They're running through the maze. They're like all tied up because Delphi is going off to find Cedric and somehow humiliate him. Maybe she's going to give him a bubble head again. Who knows? But they run into the actual Cedric. Big no-no for time travel, talking to the people in the past. This is just another example of the awkward, awkward dialogue. He goes, Are you also a task? An obstacle? Speak! Do I have to defeat you too? <laughs> and Scorpius is like, No! You have to, um, free us! That's the task! Like, trying to get free. Because Delphi is like, run off into the maze to go do who knows what shit. And Cedric's like, he frees them, and then he's like, and now I can go on? Finish the maze? And they're like, yep, you gotta finish the maze, pal. And he's like, then I shall. <laughs> Why is Cedric all of a sudden a medieval knight? So Harry and the other parents start to get very suspicious of Delphi. And they go to Amos, and they're like, hey man, what's up with your niece? And Amos is like, my what? And they're like, your niece. And he's like, I don't have a niece. And they're like, Oh no, he must have been confunded. The re so he speaks parcel tongue to open up this thing in Delphi's room. And Harry's like, wow, all of a sudden I understand parcel tongue. That's strange. I haven't been able to do that in like 20 years. And they acknowledge it. <laughs> He's like, strange. I haven't been able to understand parcel tongue since Voldemort dies. I'm not supposed to be understanding. And Hermione's like, yeah, your scar hasn't hurt since then either. And they're like, yep, this is strange. Almost as if the script thinks that by acknowledging these things, it makes it better. But it doesn't make it better. It just makes it worse because they're aware of the things that are weird and they're not willing to fix them. The re So he speaks parcel tongue to open up this thing in Delphi's room and it comes with this prophecy that says when spares are spared when time is turned when unseen children murder their fathers then will the dark lord return the spare that's spared is cedric and time is turned obviously is the time turner like that somehow leads to them deducing oh delphi is voldemort's daughter uh when how timelines <laughs> Voldemort what? doesn't fuck. <laughs> the bringing back Voldemort plotline is tired. Give me a new villain. 
Find me another wizard. There aren't only two competent wizards in the entire wizarding world. Like, you can't just have Dumbledore and Voldemort, and that's it. But to be like, hmm, who would be just as terrifying as Voldemort? Voldemort's daughter! This is supposed to somehow explain why Harry can all of a sudden speak Parseltongue again and why his scar is hurting? Like, those things were happening because a piece of Voldemort was living right, inside of him. Right, because he was a horcrux. Right! Like, Delphi is not fucking living inside of Harry. This makes no sense. But then they try and go back at the end again and re-explain... It it's so convoluted and the plot doesn't ever fully make sense, but it's almost oh. like... It's almost like the writers were like, if we confuse them enough, <laughs> maybe they won't notice all of the plot holes. <laughs> they have the realization that Delphi is Voldemort's uh, daughter and that the sons have been taken by Delphi, like they've been taken captive in time. So they have no idea where they are. They're like, they literally could be anywhere over the span of the past. So... Harry is like, they're like, what are we gonna do? And Harry's like, I don't know, man. Like, I guess we're just gonna have to wait and see if Delphi changes anything in the past. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, okay, you're going to wait and see in the future if Delphi changed the past. Like, wouldn't the future just cease to exist if she succeeded? They're like, like ah, another son. Oh my god, she's in 1974. <laughs> it's just like, wouldn't you take you being able to have this conversation as a sign of success because you wouldn't exist if she did what she wanted to do? You know what I mean? Time travel, it's done wrong. That's it. Meanwhile, Albus and Scorpius realize that they have been transported back to the night that Harry's parents get murdered. They want to communicate to their parents how they got here. I'm not going to get into it because I don't want to, but... They find a way to burn a message onto Harry's baby blanket, and it's, like, a thing that Harry has a lot somehow. And they, like, what is the message that they say? It's just, like, dad, help. And then it's the, it's the date in place. And so the adults are like, hey, this message has randomly shown up. I'm glad you were checking your baby blanket for messages, Harry. And they all decide to go back to that time and go find them. Well, because fucking Draco Malfoy out of nowhere just reveals, hey, P.S., I don't know if, like, this is helpful or not, but, like, my family's had this time turner <laughs> where we can go back several years in time. So, like, that's pretty cool that we now know where to go. Anyways. This isn't, like, a deus ex machina or anything, but, like, I have this random time turner that we could use to go back to exactly where your sons are. Meanwhile, Harry's having a crisis, and what does Harry do when he has a crisis? He goes to Dumbledore. So he starts conferring with the painting of Dumbledore, and in this scene, we just get the two of them arguing about bullshit that wasn't necessary because... Dumbledore already died. It was so unnecessary. There's a part where McGonagall chews Harry out for, like, wanting to go back and talk to the Dumbledore painting because she's like, that's not Dumbledore. It has a little bit of his essence, but it's just a painting. But all of a sudden, you have this really emotional scene where they're, like, crying together. Make a decision. 
is the painting Dumbledore or is the painting not Dumbledore? They throw in a scene with Dumbledore just to have a scene with Dumbledore. It doesn't serve a purpose. And I hate it. With the newfound knowledge from Dumbledore, they travel back in time to save their sons. They're trying to figure out what Delphi's plan is. They originally think that her plan is for her to kill Harry so that Voldemort doesn't have to, which would mean that Harry doesn't become a Horcrux unknowingly. But then they're thinking about it and they're like, well, if they're just trying, if she's just trying to kill Harry, like she could have done it a day ago because they've been there for two days in this time frame. She could have gone back a week ago. She could have gone back when he was first born. She could have gone back and murdered Lily. Like there's a million places where she could have gone to kill Harry. Also, let's just um, mention one thing. Originally with the time turner, like originally in this book with the time turner, you only had five minutes. (laughs) (laughs) in that area (laughs) but now they've been in the 1980s for two days right that was a huge plot point at the beginning because albus was like they make their first travel and then albus is like oh no it only lets us stay there for five minutes and then it Mm -hmm. pulls us back they're realizing that her plan is actually just for her to meet Voldemort. She just wants to meet her father and explain to him why (laughs) killing Harry Potter is a bad idea. Which, okay, the fact that someone who idolizes Voldemort so much thinks that if they just approach Voldemort and be like, hey, by the way, I'm your daughter and what you're about to do is a bad idea. The fact that they don't think that Voldemort would murder them on the spot <laughs> is ridiculous because he would. Like, why the fuck? Voldemort's not going to sit there and listen to that bullshit. Also, Voldemort knows he doesn't fuck and that he's not going to have exactly. a child. So he knows that you're fake. <laughs> Voldemort lost his penis when he turned into a snake human. Like That was one of his horcruxes was his dick. <laughs> It was inside Helga Hufflepuff's fucking cup. <laughs> I'm sorry. That it's <laughs> that's actually not in the real books. That's in Savannah's fan fiction, Harry Potter. <laughs> I'll link it in the episode. <laughs> Listeners be warned it is the X-rated version of the it, Harry Potter series. It is. You thought things couldn't get any stranger. <laughs> so the way that Delphi proves that she is his daughter, she's like guess what i'm your daughter and he's like no you're not and she's like yes i am and he's like no you're not and she's like i can fly did you know that flying was genetic like anyone who's watched the movies is going to be a little bit confused about this because fucking everyone is flying in the movies but in the book like voldemort is the only one who is able to fly without a broom and it's really scary to everyone else because that's like a terrifying thing to master everyone's like how is he doing that and it's it's like a big plot point so it's not just a normal thing for death eaters to just like pick up and fly through places so she's like i'm your daughter because i can fly and she like lifts up and flies around a bit and he's like oh my god my daughter (laughs) Also, something to note, because again, this plot has to continue to get more convoluted. The person that she's trying to prove to that she is Voldemort's daughter is not actually Voldemort, but Harry, who has been transfigured (laughs) into Voldemort, because that is their grand scheme, is to distract 
Delphi long enough that the real Voldemort can still go in and murder Harry's parents. <laughs> so, so fucking Delphi comes in to Harry slash Voldemort and is like, I am from the future, the child of Bellatrix Lestrange, and you. What? I was born in Malfoy Manor before the... Before the Battle of Hogwarts, a battle you are going to lose, I have come to save you. Okay, here's the thing. In the last book, Harry, Hermione, and Ron are literally inside of Malfoy Manor before the Battle of Hogwarts. Bellatrix is literally, one, not pregnant, and two, <laughs> there is not a child in Malfoy Manor. I'm just going to get into the technical aspects here of the magical world, because in order for Harry to be posing as Voldemort and tricking Delphi, they're like, maybe we should do polyjuice potion. And this is seriously considered, even though it's been confirmed, it takes fucking three months to, uh, to brew polyjuice potion. And then they're like, no, we're going to configure Harry. We're going to change his face into Voldemort's face. A thing that nobody can do unless they're a metamorph magus. But no one's going to bring that up. And they're all like, oh goodness, I hope as we're turning Harry's face into Voldemort that he doesn't stick that way. <laughs> Have you ever had an aunt or grandparents who told you when you were growing up, like, don't cross your eyes, they're gonna stick that way. It's like, <laughs> that's what I thought of when I was reading this. I was like, how brilliant would it be if they just like change Harry into Voldemort and then he just like can't change back. The plan works exactly the same. And then just like, he comes back to the wizarding world and everyone's like, haha, I know it looks like Voldemort, but it's Harry Potter. <laughs> and you've got like Voldemort picking you up from school and dropping you off <laughs> in the train station. Then we come to the fucking climax where Harry starts to turn back into himself. Delphi realize what's, realizes what's going on and suddenly she Which, turns- Which, why is he turning back into himself? This isn't the polyjuice potion. Right. Then we just get, like, this really annoying dialogue from Delphi, who apparently is just Voldemort Jr., who is super confident that she's going to be able to kill Harry, who has, like, 20-plus years of experience over her. But she's like, the question is whether it's worth my time to kill you, knowing that as soon as I stop my father, your destruction will be assured. How to decide? Oh, I'm bored. I'll kill you. Like... Who the fuck is that flippant about killing fucking Harry Potter? And then she's like, you think you're stronger than me? And Harry's like, no, I'm not. But we are. And then everyone fucking comes in and like storms the room. And it's like, look at my squad. Like they're like all posing together. They like take Delphi down. Me and squad down. gonna take you out. <laughs> and then they go back to the, to the normal present reality. And everything is peachy, fine, and dandy. And I think we've come to the end of the book. Oh, hallelujah. Fucking finally. God but damn it. Can I just say, oh. I'm not done talking about this, but we've <laughs> already expired our time here. So I think it's time to announce that we have a special quarantine episode Ooh. where we continue to bitch <laughs> about the cursed child. I told you, Michael, I told you the bonus content was coming. <laughs> I know we've just gone over the basic convoluted plot now, but we have some more points to go over 
if it seemed like we were holding back regarding ridiculous uh, characterization or any of the romantic subplot going on between Albus and Scorpius, if you have read this book before, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, we were. We have some really exciting uh, rapid fire quotes to go through with you, some character development or lack thereof, and also the main romance that just carries the entire fucking play. So uh, we're really excited to get into it, but you'll have to tune in with next episode. So with that, I think we're going to hold final thoughts until next episode, but we did want to share some fan mail with you guys. So we have... Destiny on Instagram who messaged us and said, hey, I've been listening to your podcast for some time now and it inspired me to do a podcast of my own. Um, thank you for the constant entertainment in, t- in times I desperately needed it and I'm wishing you constant happiness, especially now or in a time such as now. So we were really excited to hear that because we obviously started a podcast and it's fucking hard ass work. So the fact that she started one is pretty great. Um, if you guys want to listen to it, it's called One Shareable Basket. So you can go check her out on Spotify, I think is where we found her. I'm in finals week and you have been reading a lot more than I have recently. So uh, do you want to go ahead with our book rec? So like Savannah mentioned, I have been speed reading the entire Harry Potter series. Like <laughs> I read, I think, all of The Order of the Phoenix in a day i was really (laughs) impressed (laughs) so i you know i'm gonna go ahead and just recommend literally any harry potter book other than this fucking nonsensical bullshit we read for the cursed child okay but okay but which one is your which one is your favorite my personal favorite is book six the half-blood prince interesting I fucking sobbed at the end of it when Dumbledore died. I loved that it started with the muggle prime minister. I don't know. Something about that just like really fucking roped me in with that book. It's a and really it just, cool intro. I I loved that book. What was your favorite? This is hard because I, I've reread the books a lot, but not recently. Um, and I, I, <laughs> I'm not totally sure what's canon and what's not because I've read so much fan fiction <laughs> at this point. I would say the fifth one is my favorite. I did um, like just Order thinking of the back. Phoenix. Yeah, the scene at the ministry was fucking buck wild. Amazing! I loved it was it. so good. I felt like there was a lot of world development in that one. I really liked Luna. Loved Luna as a character. Love um, Luna. Love good. Yeah. So that was why. But if if I was hard pressed, the third one was my favorite for a long time. Sirius's death at the end of the fifth one hit me hard, though, so I think it's interesting that both of our our favorite books had to do with the death of a character that hit us the hardest. Uh, Savannah, what's your non-book rec? Uh, Okay, so my non-book rec is actually... So this is a movie that we were assigned in school. It's called Cloud Atlas, and it was directed by the same sisters who created The Matrix. If we're talking about this book as something that does time travel really badly and, like, weaves different narratives together really badly, this movie weaves together six different stories incredibly. The transitions are great. The way that the stories are communicated is great. I watched it, and then the more that I thought about it, the more I had feelings about it. It starts, like, way back in um, the early 1800s, I believe, and then goes to this, like, post-apocalyptic timeline uh in like 2100 uh six different storylines six different characters all six of the stories are different genres too so oh 
Interesting. It's also a book. I'm reading the book now, and I will just say it is the only thing I have ever said that I'm glad I watched the movie first, <laughs> because the movie more closely ties everything together, and the book does not. Um, but I would definitely recommend. It's three hours. It's like three and a half hours long, and I know that sounds daunting, but it's worth it. Um, with that, follow us on social media. Um, yes. You can find us on Instagram at Worst Thing We Read. You can send us an email at worstthingweread at gmail.com. And you can find us on Twitter at worst, T-H-N-G, we read. <laughs> please do. Y'all, I made a meme. If you have never been on our social media, please go look at my meme. It's the first one I ever made. I downloaded a Tinder, too, last week. Or not a Tinder. A, a Tinder. <laughs> it's not that kind of podcast, Savannah. <laughs> find me on Tinder. <laughs> oh, also... We're going to go ahead and put our social media in the description. You, If you want to um, friend us on Goodreads, go ahead and do that too. We'll put that in oh, right. the description as well. Yes. We haven't um, put out a lot of reviews yet. But... I just like to watch what people are reading. So like, if right. you just want to see what we're reading at each point in time, you know what? Do that. That'd be awesome. Sure. Reviews are money, y'all. We don't have a Patreon. We are doing this out of our pockets, so we really appreciate If you'd go to iTunes, give us a five-star review if you like us. If you don't like us, ignore everything I'm saying and pretend we don't <laughs> exist. Kind of like how I pretend that this book doesn't exist <laughs> because I hate it. <laughs> um, with that, we'll see you guys next week. Not with our eyes. But with, but our, with mouths. our mouths.